We're in this season of the year that I absolutely love. I love the Christmas season. I love the spiritual things about Christmas. I love the non-spiritual things about Christmas, which means I love the music. I love the service projects. I love, I love giving presents to people. I love the glow of my Christmas tree when all the lights are out in the house. I just love that. I don't even want to turn it off. Jessica has to make me turn it off. I just love Christmas. I love it. And there's this thought that I consistently think every year in the middle of prepping for Christmas, in the middle of the whole Black Friday shopping, the caroling, the family tree, all that stuff, like family time. I, in the middle of all that, I think this thought. I think, Lord, I want to get this right. I do. I think that, Lord, I just, I just want to get this right. I want to get Christmas right in my heart. I want it to be exactly what you want it to be. I don't want to make it about the things that it shouldn't be. I want to honor the Lord by allowing Christmas to be exactly what it's supposed to be in my life. I think that thought. Um, and so I know some of us are bothered by the term Xmas. Um, that term, you, you want to make sure that, that Christ isn't replaced as the centerpiece of the season. So, so we respond to the term Xmas with negativity because our, our thought is, well, I want to put Christ back into Christmas, Right? That's why some of us don't like it. And, I, and I'm not against that, but, but I want to I wanna bring it to this thought. I want you to think about this. So if you take notes, if, if you're a note taker, then, then hone in right now to this. I don't want us to be fooled and to fool ourselves into thinking that putting Christ into this season really happens by using the right wording. Right? Like it's not about, it's not about our wording. Don't think that just because we say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays that we're putting Christ back into Christmas. Don't, don't fool yourselves today. Like, just start off and think this. Don't fool yourself today into thinking that, that just because I put up a nativity scene instead of a snowman, that I'm putting Christ into Christmas. Don't think that just because we sing Silent Night or Away in a Manger instead of Grandma got run over by a reindeer, that, that we're putting Christ into Christmas. Like, all that's fine and good and well, and, and, and that's what this is all about. This, this whole Xmas series is about how do we really put Christ into Christmas. If that's not what it's about, if all that's fine and good and well and whatever, what's it really about? How do I really put Christ into Christmas? And what I want you to see the next few weeks is that everything really comes down to this. It comes down to figuring out a way to lift up and embrace the values of Jesus Christ. That's what everything is about. If you want Christ in Christmas, if you want Christ as a centerpiece of your life, the next four weeks we're going to dig into Scripture and figure out what that really means and how we really put and lift up and embrace the values of Jesus more than anything else. So we're going to start in a weird place. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Um, this is a weird place, but as we start, you've got to understand that, that the disciples those closest to Jesus, they go back to recount the Christmas story. They don't start where we start. 
Like we start in a place that's like, you know, long trip, donkey, manger. That's where we start. They don't start there. The disciples start the story of Christmas in a, in a much different way. And so I know I'm bringing you to an odd spot here, but, but this, is, this is exactly where they started. And I think it's vital for us. So just before we read Matthew's version of the Christmas story, keep in mind a couple of things about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Which just means he was hated by his people. He was an outcast, had no friends, nobody loved him because he was hired by the Roman government and partnering with them, he just wanted to pull more money out of people. So he wanted to give Roman a cut and while giving Roman what they, Rome what they wanted, he got a cut of that as well. So in the middle of that, he's just absolutely hated by everybody around him. Hated, despised. Then Jesus comes along and invites Matthew to be a disciple. Think about that. He invites this tax collector, this chief. He invites Matthew to be a disciple. And to Matthew, you have to think in his mind, he's thinking this has got to be the best second chance ever. This is a second chance because at this point, he probably hates himself. He probably hates all that he's done to some of these people. He probably, you know, loves it and hates it. He's just conflicted even within his own heart. And in this moment, Jesus says, you come be my disciple. And when he says yes, he's thinking this is my second chance. This is amazing. So Matthew writes this letter. And we're going to read a few verses out of it in a moment. But understand this, he writes this letter writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And this audience reads this letter knowing that there's supposed to come a Messiah from the lineage of David. Second Samuel, Micah, these Old Testament books talk about how the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. And Matthew knew that if he was going to convince these readers, these Jewish people that, that Jesus is the Son of God, he knew that he was going to have to show them how Jesus actually came from the lineage of David. So he launches in to this genealogy. So starting with the genealogy of Matthew 1 is ridiculously important to Matthew and the disciples to prove the Christmas story and to explain the Christmas story to us. We're just bored by it, right? Like if, if what's so cool about it is this, like if you've ever tried to read through the Bible, if you've ever tried to pursue reading through the Bible, if you've ever tried to walk through the New Testament alone or whatever, this story, this passage is the passage you would naturally skip, right? Like, don't feel bad. Like, you would just skip this. You're like, a bunch of names. I get it. People had kids. I'm done. Whatever. And, and for a couple of reasons. Like, you don't know how to pronounce these names. Like, they're weird names. We've never named our kids this. You know, that, that would be dumb. And your friends would make fun of you. That wouldn't be good. Um, if one of your friends' names is, is Hezron, though, I'm real sorry if that's your name. I didn't mean that. But if, um, you know, you don't know how to pronounce it. And it's just like, I get it. People had kids. Let's just move on. What's this good for me? Like, explain to me what this is supposed to do for me. What I want to explain to you is this, before we even read a few verses, is that I'm telling you even the genealogies in Scripture matter. How cool is that? Even the genealogies matter. They're significant. And they're significant because they further the credibility of Scripture and that's awesome. That's incredible. So in this, this is, this is important. And Matthew says, if you want to hear the Christmas story, if you want to know all about Christmas, you want to know about this, this coming king, this coming Messiah, I have to start with, with this. But even then, this genealogy is different from almost any other genealogy in Scripture because in ancient times, the genealogies were reserved for kings. They were reserved for emperors. They thought nobody else mattered and nobody else could really afford to hire a historian to come in and like go through the family tree and go through all the names. So what they would do, they would, they would hire them. And so genealogies were always for important people, kings, emperors, rulers, all that. But you'll notice in any genealogy that, that there are gaps in the years, like you read, and it like skips 10 years or skips a, a, a person. And, and you're like, what's that about? They skip people that are embarrassments or shameful 
to the king's family. And so if you read in genealogy and there's a gap, you realize, man, they, dude probably had a crazy Uncle Henry like I got. And he said, I just want to leave crazy Uncle Henry out because I don't want anybody to know we're affiliated. So I know a lot of us, like, we would like to do that. And you can't because, you know, Henry is crazy. You don't know what he's going to do. And so they would, though. They did this. So they would leave gaps with generations of people. And Matthew writes this genealogy but leaves no gap. He writes this genealogy, and it's not for uh, an earthly king, an earthly ruler. And so we're going to read a little bit of it, but some of the names in here that you see are names of people that you would never invite to your Christmas party. They're names of people that you would never want to be affiliated with in your family, but God invites all of his people to be a vital part of this Christmas story. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Before we even read it, this is what it means. Write this down. It means that putting Christ into Christmas is really just equivalent with putting grace into our daily lives. That's what that means. Let me repeat it one more time. That putting Christ into Christmas is equivalent to the exact same thing as putting grace into our daily lives. Matthew 1 starts like this. Check this out. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Remember, this is the point. He's like, I gotta bring it back to David. I gotta show him David. David came from Abraham, but it does include David. Coming Messiah, you know, comes from David. Here's David's name. Here it is. And he goes on in verse two. And he says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And it walks through generation after generation after generation. And what's amazing about this is that this is a list that is full of people that are an embarrassment to the Old Testament. Like you start dissecting these names, these people are embarrassments to Christian history. They've embarrassed the Jewish people that he's writing this to. Like they are embarrassed by some of these names. And what I need while I'm explaining all this is just to let you know, Matthew's not just naming random names. He's looking back through Jesus's lineage first to prove him worthy of kingship. Since he's from the line of David, he needed to prove that like I explained. But most importantly, this lineage shows that Jesus' earthly heritage, his physical heritage, is rooted in grace. I mean, it's rooted in grace. What he came from, earthly, is grace. And so Matthew's beginning the Christmas story by explaining the kind of kingdom that Jesus, the Messiah, is setting up. And this kingdom that he's setting up is of grace. It's based in grace. It's foundation in grace. What does that mean? It means everybody's welcome. That's what it means. Everybody's welcome. Imagine how foreign this is to the kings, the emperors of that day, the, the, the genealogies of that day. This is completely foreign. This is completely different. But Matthew has to line this up, that this means grace is implemented into daily lives. What's that mean for you? That means everybody's welcome in your life. Everybody's welcome. Matthew's communicating through the beginning of the Christmas story that everybody's invited. Everybody's welcome. Let me show you how we know it. Look at the very first part of verse three. Just the very first part. Verse three says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was who? Tamar, right? Tamar. Tamar was the kind of lady that when Jews saw her name on this list, they would be outraged. They would be so angry. She's not even Jewish, Matthew. Matthew, she's not even a Jew. Like, and she dressed up like a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law. She had twins because of her successful seduction. And she was just all about deceit and lies. That's who you're going to put in a genealogy? Remember, you hide the Uncle Henrys. You don't embrace them. You don't put them in here. He's, he's like, you put them in here. She's not even a Jew. You're writing to us. You don't even understand. Matthew's saying, you remember this deceitful liar? Do you remember this, this lady, Tamar? She's part of the Christmas story. Merry Christmas. 
is what he's writing to these Jews. She's part of this. Whether you like it or not, she's part of it. Look at verse 5. First part of verse 5 says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. They would have seen that name, Rahab, and thought, are you kidding me? At least Tamar was just pretending to be a prostitute. Like Rahab was actually a prostitute. And Matthew says, you're right. You're absolutely right. And she's a part of this majestic Christmas story. Blowing these people away. These Jewish listeners are like, what in the world? If you looked back at verse 2, we read about a guy named Judah. The Jews would have known Judah. They would have known his name. And they would have known his name because they would have equated him with a liar, with a cheat, with deceit. That's him. Even in verse 6, yeah, this whole thing has to come from David. But if you look at David, everybody knew David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Name after name after name after name of embarrassing people show up in this chapter. And there emerges this idea that is so vital for us. This idea of grace that leads up to the birth of Christ. And this idea of grace that follows Jesus throughout his ministry. This is important for us because this baby named Jesus grew into a man named Jesus that openly embraced sinners He openly embraced lepers. He openly embraced Gentiles and crooks. Everybody, everybody. Jesus embraced everybody in the world. Everything about Jesus created this community, this this kingdom based on grace where everybody was welcome. Everybody can come to the table. Everybody was welcome. And when he ascended into heaven, the church became this community, this, this earthly kingdom in some ways that had never existed where grace abounded and everyone was just welcome. Everyone. This is bizarre this is foreign this is so different than anything that has ever been up to this point and actually anything that has ever been since to put Christ into your Christmas if you want to do that if you say I want to get this right you're not going to be able to get away with just putting up a manger you're not going to be able to just get away with just putting up a nativity scene Christ demands listen he demands that your day-to-day life must communicate that everybody is welcome it's got to communicate that. Not, I, I do, Tommy, I do. I, I like people that are like me. No, no, no. Listen, the measuring stick is not how well you like people and embrace people that are like you. The measuring stick is how, how open you are, how much grace you bestow, love you bestow on people that are completely opposite of you. That, that's the measuring stick of grace. That this genealogy shows us some just embarrassing, embarrassing realities here. The first reality is this, is that Christmas begins with the reality that nobody is perfect. Nobody. Not one of us. Not one of them. Perfect. Matthew reminds us of this over and over and over. And you've got to know why he's passionate about it. I told you what he was. He was a tax collector. You've got to imagine he's so passionate about this because of his past. He knows exactly who he was and he knows exactly what he came from. He's living in a culture full of people who are just trying to outwardly express their worth to this coming Messiah. Do you hear me? Like they're trying to outwardly express that I'm worthy of this Christ. And he's expressing through this genealogy that this is not just another story. This is not just some other genealogy. This is not just some other person. This is not like Old Testament part two. This is not about gaining access based on your goodness, your deeds, your works. Matthew says the Christmas story is a story of contrast. It it isn't about your deeds, your works, It's about the deeds of Jesus and his works. And and that's where this chapter of grace really hits me. And where I want it to really hit you today. Ignoring this truth 
This genealogy, this truth behind it, that everything begins and ends with grace. It's the foundation that we stand on. Ignoring that truth is what blinds us to what Christmas is all about. We keep going back to God, building this platform of accomplishments, building this platform of of good deeds to, here's the word, earn to earn the right to be listed as heirs. And his very story, that's what we want to do, but his very story begins with everybody's welcome and none of you are perfect. None of you are worthy. None of you, but everybody's welcome, which is ridiculous. It blows our minds. We don't work like that even today, but that's the message of Christmas. So if we're going to start talking about Christmas and we're going to try to say, Lord, I want to get this right. I want our church to get this right, our families. How do we do that? It's got to begin with grace. Everything begins with grace. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. That's the kind of lifestyle we've got to have. That's the kind of church that Kirby has got to be. We've got to be a church that really understands the bottom line of having Christ in our lives is being open to extending grace, not to just those that are like us, but those who are completely different from us. Every single person you come in contact with, no matter how different they are, because nobody's perfect, Nobody, nobody's got this thing right. No, not one of us. And so I wanna, I wanna make sure you get that this morning. I wanna drive that home as much as I can that we all have sinned in this church. So if you're brand new today, you're like, I'm gonna come on this first day of this new series. I'm gonna come, it's Christmas season. I got my Christmas sweater. It is all looking right and smelling a little funky. And I'm gonna come in here and look, look good for these people. All that, I'm so glad you're here. But you've gotta understand, if you think you're gonna be judged in here, we have no business judging you. We got no business. We're all on equal ground. We're all on the same page. We're all sinners. Every single one of us got a story. We got a past. We really have a sinful present in a lot of ways, I'm sure, too. So we're all on the same page in here. And I just, I got to drive that home that a church that really understands that it's about the king and his grace is the church that we've got to be. That's the church that we've always got to be. That's the church we've got to continue to be. Extending grace to every single person you come in contact with, no matter how different they are than you, because it's about the king and his grace on all of us. So I want to make sure that you get that. But just a few chapters after this whole genealogy, you don't have to turn there because it's just this little sentence. But in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Matthew quotes Jesus. And he's talking about judgment. He's talking about grace. And he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Like don't, don't, don't judge or you're going to be judged. Matthew tried to help us remember that this Christmas story is, is not just about the birth of the Messiah. But it's about what that Messiah brings to me and what he brings to you. And that is grace. Grace, in spite of your sin, in spite of your shame, grace, if you give your life to him, what he will do with that sin. That, that's a beautiful story. And Matthew says, I, I need you to get this. And I'm going to write it through a genealogy. Matthew's about what he brings to, to me as a tax collector, what he brought to Tamar, what he brought to Rahab, what he brought to all these people, and what he can bring to you. He's a coming Messiah that, that's based in grace. And so when I say that, I need you to understand what, what, what kind of community, what kind of culture, what kind of kingdom is this? It's a kingdom where anything is possible. A community of people where anything is possible. Yeah, it's, everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. We get that. But, but it's where this community is about anything being possible because of Jesus. When you, when you look at grace that's extended throughout the Christmas story, we're reminded over and over and over that, that with Christ, anything's possible. 
And, and you need to know that because when Jesus gets a hold of people, everything begins to change. And some of us, most of us are, are probably living proof of this, but, but broken marriages can be mended. Estranged children can come home. People that are spiritually dead, raised to life in Christ. I mean, anything is possible with Jesus. And so if you've got to be met somewhere with the gospel message, let Matthew 1 just penetrate your heart this morning and let you realize that it is about grace. It's not about deeds. It's about us following with deeds based on grace. But it's not about how much I do, how good I look. It's not about me saying Merry Christmas. It's not about me, you know, putting up a nativity scene or whatever. All that stuff is good and grand and fine. But what it's about is that I am based in grace. And I've got to understand that I need it as much as any person in here. I'm desperately in need of grace. And in that, Christ changes minds. Christ changes attitudes. He changes hearts. Everything changes. And with him, anything is possible that God will use your life regardless of your past. Regardless of where you've been or what you've done, if you'll make your life available to him. And so when, when we begin this, I just, I just want to start this whole series and just say, what's it mean to put Christ back into Christmas? What's that mean? It means that right now, as I speak to you, you think of the person that you've given up on. Think about the person that you've given up on, the person that you think is beyond being reached. Who is that person? Maybe you write their name down. Maybe you just think in your mind. Maybe it's their names. It's multiple people in your life. Maybe it's, it's your spouse. Maybe it's a son or a daughter that's far from the Lord. Maybe it's a friend. It may be you. It may be you. You may be looking in the mirror right now and saying, I just, I have no hope, Tommy. I've got nothing on my own. I don't know, I don't know what to do with this moment. I don't know what to do with the season. But all I'm asking, who is the person in your life that you have completely given up on? What's their name? What are their names? And if it's you, Confess that, admit that in your mind right now. Just think to yourself, who is that person? And then follow it up with this. Think this question as well. Why is it that I feel like there's no hope for that person? Like what brings me to that conclusion that there's no hope for them? Why is it that I struggle so much to believe in that person? Because I wanna give you the truth. I wanna, I wanna bring this truth to you and let this help, Okay. You're giving up, you're questioning, you're losing hope is much more a reflection of your opinion of God's redeeming work than it is about that person. And that hurts to admit that. When I, when I admit that to myself, when I give up on some people, when I give up on some areas of my life, when I give up on certain people, I think I'm not really questioning them. I'm kind of questioning God's redeeming work and how powerful he really is. And that's painful to confess. That's painful to admit but whenever you write somebody off in your life, even yourself, if you write yourself off, say, I'll never overcome this addiction. I'll never be able to overcome this. I'll never be like them. I'll never be close to the Lord. I'll never be the father that God called me to be. I'll never be able to be a son that, that rises to the occasion. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. If you look in the mirror and you think that, whenever you think that, whenever you can just pin, there is no hope for me. There is no hope for that person. Your feelings, your feelings are actually about what you think God can't do more than what you think that person won't do. And that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal because that puts it in your court and it stays in this human court where you're really not capable of much, and I'm not either. But, but to take that from the Lord, it means that they're gonna have to be able to do it. And you know full well we can't do it on our own. But if you put it in God's court and you say, whoa, 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 I'm questioning you, God, not questioning them. I'm, I've been putting it on them, putting it on them, putting it on me, but really, I'm putting it on you. And that's not worship. That, that's a slap in the face to you. And so I've got to get this thing right this morning. I've got to confess to you that it is possible 
for God to do anything he wants. It is possible that, that God can use people like Rahab and Tamar, David and Matthew, can use broken people, messed up people, sinful people to bring about glory in his kingdom and to turn their lives around. And if he can do it for them, that means he can do it for me. And if he can break my addiction, that means he can do it for her and him. And that means everything changes. That means my story changes. So the question is, is it possible that God can still do something in that person's heart and life? Like for you to ask that, do you really believe? And this is just tough questioning here, but you gotta lean into this. Do you really believe in the transformational power of Jesus Christ more then you believe in the hopeless situation that's in front of you. Which one is it? Because I understand, man, hopeless situation in front of you, it's heavy and it's hard and it's tough and it's oh so real in your life. But the power of God, which one will we believe in more? Which one? That's the real question. Which one do you believe in more? Do you believe that he can redeem and save anybody? Do you believe that? Or do you believe that their sin is too much for him? Do you believe that, that your issues are too much, your struggles are too much, your, your job search is too hard, your, your relationship with your spouse is too difficult at this point? Or do you believe that God is who he says he is and he's full of grace and mercy and tenderness and he can mend anything that's broken, that he can put back together in perfection, anything that you rip down, is it possible? Because your answer needs to depend on this genealogy in Matthew 1 because this sucker is full of messed up, broken people. Murderers, adulterers, liars, deceitful people, prostitutes. There's no way, there's no way that Tamar or Rahab would ever be allowed to lead a Bible study. Yet there are Bible studies out there written about these women that we do in our church and, and to think that I would, I would have written them off, I would have written, but God didn't. And because of that, we study how to be like them in their lives, how to let our story end the way their story ended. And it's about these women, these broken women, these messed up people found right here, honored amazingly enough in the lineage of Jesus. And we would question so much. They shouldn't be in Christian history. They shouldn't, it, it, it's a black eye to our faith. But somehow Jesus disagrees with me and disagrees with you and says, we're gonna put it in this genealogy that I came from that. And I also extended grace to that while on earth. And that is the kind of kingdom I'm setting up that's full of grace. The reality is, no matter what you think, no matter what you feel God can do or can't do, God can. And scripture tells us God will everybody being welcomed, that nobody, none of us are perfect and, and anything is possible. So you may say in your life, who have I written off? I've written my son off. I've just, I've just said, Lord, I've done all that I can do. I'm done with him. And, and today needs to bring you back to a point where you say, no, 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 until the day I die, Lord, I'm gonna seek and believe that you can redeem him. He can turn from his ways. He can turn. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for myself. I'm gonna pray for my marriage, my spouse. My spouse, I'm gonna pray for her. I know she's far from you, Lord, but, but I, I want you. I'm gonna pray for my husband. I'm gonna pray for my friend. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna believe in you, Lord, because your kingdom has always been based in grace. Before you're, you, you ever came here as a baby, it was already based in grace. And after you came, you lifted up grace. And so we've got to begin with grace. If we're ever gonna get this right, we've gotta begin with grace. And so it may mean that today, you may need to go and say, listen, I'm not writing you off. I mean, it may need to be during an invitation here in a moment where you say, forget what everybody else is gonna think. Matthew didn't care what everybody else thought. Jesus, sure enough, didn't care what everybody else thought. So in a moment of invitation, I'm going to them and I'm gonna say, listen, I might've written you off or I did write you off or I'm this close to writing you off and I'm not going to because of Matthew 1 because Jesus based everything in grace so I'm not gonna do it. 
I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to write you off. It may mean that you begin to pen a letter. You begin to, to make a phone call today where you say, listen, I know your past sin. And I'm telling you, that doesn't define you. It doesn't make you who you are. Your bad habits, they can be rewired. You can be the person God created you to be. And I'm not going to lose hope in that. It may mean that. But who is the person that you're giving up on? It may be you at an altar prayer in a moment with yourself saying, I've given up on myself. I have no hope, Tommy. Like I came into this service feeling no hope. Everybody else in here is great. I'm not. I stink. There's nothing in me. I'm sinful. I messed up too big. There's nothing that, that can redeem me now. And, and this message, this word from Matthew 1 has shown you, man, Lord, you are full of grace. Grace that abounds. Casting my sin as far as the east is from the west. There's nothing I can do to earn it. But there's nothing I can do that can prevent you from saving me except for my willingness to not give my life to you. And so, God, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to do that. Part, part of what the church is, part of who we're to be, even at Kirby, is that instead of tearing each other down, we are called to build people up. That's what we're called to do. That's a big part of what we're called to be as a church, to build each other up, not tear each other down, that, that we will look in each other's eyes and this may need to happen in a moment where you look in somebody's face and you proclaim to them, I know that you can be more than what you are. I know this is who you can be. I know it. I know it. And you don't believe it. You may not even believe it about yourself, but I believe it enough for both of us because I know you can do it. You can be better than you are right now. Everybody's welcome. Not one of us in here is perfect. Every one of us in here are sinners. We all make mistakes. We all make just herocious sins. But in the, in the middle of that, God created us to rise above that. God created us to embrace more than that. And so will we do it? Will that be our call today? Will we, will we embrace that truth? Will we redeem that in us? And so we're praying, we're praying that you put Christ back into Christmas. But that doesn't mean that you just do that with your words. And that doesn't mean that you just do it with your fun decorations because I love it. I love the decorations, but it's not about that. And I love the family traditions, but it doesn't mean that you do it through that, none of that, but through being a person that extends grace to those who feel unworthy, to those who feel unloved, and to those that are just straight up hopeless, that they are just hopeless in themselves. All of us are broken. All of us are messed up, but anything's possible through the powerful grace of Jesus Christ, and that is the beginning of this Christmas story, which can also be the beginning of your story. Can you stand with me and let me pray over you? Just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just, I want to pray for you. Because I don't know exactly where this season meets you. I don't know exactly what you've gone through this year. I don't know. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what your walk with the Lord is fully like. But I know this. I know that God's grace abounds more than anything in your life. Any barrier, any sin any guilt, any pain, that his grace breaks through any of that if you'll allow him to, that his grace is that amazing, it's that powerful, it's that strong, and it's not some fairy tale, it's, it's the truth of the Christmas story, and it begins with grace, and it ends with grace, and his lifestyle while on earth was full of grace, and that means that ours should be too. So right now, as I'm about to pray for you, I just want you to just still your heart, quiet yourself, don't, don't move around a lot. Just don't, don't worry about other people. Don't, don't mess around with that. Just, just think, Lord, okay, these are tough questions for me. Do I believe in their sin, my sin, more than I believe in you? I think I do. 
I think I struggle with that, Lord, and my behavior shows that I'm not trusting you the way I should. And I want to trust you, Lord. I know that you're fully capable of this, and so I want to prove it. I want to live that out, so I want to repent of my sins. Man, maybe that's your story. And listen, that's a whole lot of our stories in here. To repent and to be made whole in that, that's you. You've given up on people? No, no, no more. God, I'm so sorry. I've given up on them and I'm gonna tell them I'm sorry and I'm not gonna give up. I believe your word is true that you use Tamar, use Rahab, you use Matthew and you can use me. So God, show me. Show me how to minister. Show me how to walk through that with them. Some of you that say, Tommy, I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. I'm here because of a buddy. I'm here because of a friend. Here because of family. But man, I need that grace. You look in the mirror when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night and you just say, God, I just... I just don't even know what to do with my life. I can't do this on my own. And this message meets you in a desperate moment. And in your seat right now, you're just desperate for just truth, desperate for something to hang on to that's not some fleeting fad that just here today, gone tomorrow. And you say, I need that. If you're not saved, if you say, I'm not a Christian, man, today could be your day to embrace the truth of the gospel. That it doesn't begin with a rule book, It doesn't begin with with a bunch of commandments. It begins with grace to say, I'll meet you right where you are. You don't clean yourself up and then come to me. You come to me and let me clean you up. You come to me and then, yeah, your your lifestyle is going to follow that. There's principles and truths to live by, yeah, but, but this grace abounds. This grace abounds more than your doubt, more than your struggles, more than your sin. So come to me. Lay that stuff down and give your life to me. So I'm going to pray for you. And whether you're a Christian who just needs to believe in Christ more than you believe in you or struggle with you, or if you're a person who doesn't believe in Jesus yet, you say, man, I want to accept him. I want to pray for you as well. And use this moment of invitation. Let this moment be so pure, so big, so right for you that you don't pass it up. You don't let it go, but you just embrace this with everything you got. Jesus, I pray Lord, that you would bless this time of invitation. Lord, I pray as as Pastor Don sings.